Let me try that again. Ooh, I like that sound. Okay, I'm going to welcome you all to Cornerstone. And eventually I'm going to sit up here so that I can hang out with you all. Uh, But thank you for coming on our maiden voyage. Okay, a couple of housekeeping items. What is this about? And different people have asked me. This is a little bit new this year. Last year... um, Last year we did Zoom on Sunday afternoons, and part of that was because of COVID and all the drama with COVID. But Cornerstone is actually, for me, it's an answer to prayer. I I think in my own heart, I've waited seven years to do this, and it's just in part so that we would have something on a Sunday where we would get a chance just to hang out um, and discuss some of the things that we learn and see how it applies to our lives. And key among our lives is our relationships. Whether you're single, whether you're married, wherever the Lord has you, um, God's given us Christ so that we can enjoy Him and we can enjoy our relationships the way He designed them to be. And that's ultimately what Cornerstone is about. Our tagline is taken from Ephesians 2. It's really allowing Christ to build our lives around Him. Okay? As opposed to all those other things, your career, your education, your friends, even your church. Well, God created us, He called us, He saved us so that our lives would be built around Him because He's the only one who's good. And He's the sweetness and joy of our life. And so that's really what the focus of Cornerstone is about. We're going to meet once a month, Lord willing, in a similar fashion, have an opportunity to sit, have lunch together, fellowship after the Sunday service, encourage one another and stir one another up to love and good deeds. And then basically gather together and have hopefully a little bit more of an interactive format. Um, One request I have for you all, okay? I know this is a little bit new, but if your plan is to come, we're going to ask you, and I know this is a little new, total grace, please RSVP. And the reason we do that, this is love for the food services team, right? Christ calls us to love one another as He's loved us. And so part of Cornerstone is we want to take every opportunity to love one another. And so if it's your intent to come, the Lord says, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. We do that so when they're standing there and we show up, we have enough food for everyone. And so that they're, as much as we can, hopefully not in that awkward position when people show up. And there's not enough food for them because we have an RSVP. So we want to love them by doing everything we can to help them, right? Okay, so when you come for dinner at Mama's house, you need to let Mama know, right? I'm going to be home for dinner, Mama, right? Cool? We good on that? Okay. With that, all right, I am going to um, ask someone to open our time in prayer. Um, Eric, I see you there, and you're getting married soon, right? The time is near. When is your wedding date? October 30th, okay, so the hammer's coming down, the new life and the resurrection is about to happen. It's time to die now, Eric, so would you come and uh, open us in a word of prayer? Trying to help Eric to lead, that's the Holy Spirit's job, but I'll just give you the mic. Okay. Can you hear me? Okay, let's pray. Uh, Father God, uh, just thank you for the Sunday. Um, thank you for um, the ministries that um, have allowed us to have our time here today. Um, we just thank you for um, the food that we were able to enjoy and um, you know the, past, the, the message that we heard from Pastor Mark earlier today. Um, we just pray for our time here in Cornerstone um, that as we um, go through Ephesians and um, reflect over our time in First Timothy that we could um, just 
hear how you've been teaching us of um, the many things that Pastor Mark has, um, you've been teaching us through Pastor Mark and, um, you know, just the things that you have um, for us to learn and grow um, to trust in you. Uh, we just pray for our time today that um, through Pastor Mark, you'd be able to, um, continue to continue to grow us and sanctify us in um, the word. So, for us in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Eric. All right. We want to start every Cornerstone session a little bit from hearing from you. And I'm going to ask three people, okay, to come up and use the mic and share one prayer request that you have. And it's so the church can be praying for you. And typically your requests are probably similar to other people's prayer requests. Okay, we're not going to get through everybody. But we want to hear one prayer request. And if you have a question, okay, one question. Doesn't mean we'll answer it, okay? But typically, if you've got the question, someone else has got the question. And so we want to be able to open that up for discussion. And maybe if I can't answer it, Ed Wong will answer it at the back, okay? So you know where to go, or Edmund will, okay? So first, okay, who here is single and not married? Hopefully that's one of the same thing. Okay. Will, you got two hands up there, brother. That's a that's a message. Okay, Daniel, I'm going to get you to come to the front and share with us one prayer request and one question that you have. This is what happens when you sit in the front. (laughs) Should I stand or sit? You can do whatever you want, brother. Um, One prayer request. There's freedom in Christ. (laughs) Um, yeah, thanks for allowing me to share. Uh, one prayer request that I have is just at school. I'm an elementary school teacher, for those who don't know. Uh, it's just kind of crazy coming back with the kids and them being at home for a year, um, just with different backgrounds that they have. <clears throat> and uh, Sorry. Just, uh, yeah, I think just pray that I would be a good witness um, of Christ to them even though I can't directly you know, share the gospel with them, but just just in how I work with them and that I would be patient with them um, and just exhibit the love of Christ to them. Um, because a lot of them are going through challenging things, having been at home for a year and then learning to be back in school with other kids, just socially. There's just a lot going on, I'm sure. Some of you can imagine, those of you with kids um, who are going back to school, Maybe know some of this stuff. So yeah, please pray for that. Um, just pray for yeah the children to know the love of Christ through me and perhaps through others. Um, I don't know that there are other believers at my school right now, but yeah, um, at least the ones in my classroom. You know, those are the ones that God has given to me to be able to witness to. Um, a question that I had. It's kind of specific. I was uh, reading through the Old Testament, and don't do that, Daniel. <laughs> Sorry. I think it was in Numbers, and actually, I was thinking about it this morning because on the retreat, there's um, one of the team names named by Ethan and Jamie was uh, the Gray Donkeys from Balaam, and so I was reading that a couple weeks ago, and just thinking that. You know, that God used Balaam, and at the same time, God was also kind of displeased with Balaam, too. He was. Right? Absolutely. And so it's just kind of interesting the way that 
it seemed like God was using him, but it was also just this situation where Balaam is not honored as someone who's faithful to the Lord. So even though the Lord used him, and Balaam knew that, he was sharing things to, I think it was Balak. Yes. Right? And he was just, and it was like Balak was going to Balaam as someone who can hear from God. Yep. And so someone who can hear from God, it's like, well, how did this guy end up not being pleasing? Like when we look at kind of the things in the Bible that this character, this in person fact, our, is not. Our quote from today mm-hmm. was, was from Balaam as yeah. far as the, the star yeah, and the scepter. Yeah. And so many reminders for me. The, the, the mini one, I'm going to take that back from you. Thank you, Daniel. The mini answer to that very, very quickly is God is not limited by our faithlessness and our sin. It's a testimony to the gospel that he's going to do what he's going to do and he's going to accomplish his good ends for his people. And Balaam's an example of that. Whether we're faithful and we listen or whether we're hard-hearted or stubborn, we're not going to stop the good work of the Lord. Okay, so that's, there's can be some more nuance to that, but that's a start for us, okay? It's a reminder of the gospel. Whereas we tend to think, if I do everything right and I think good, God's going to speak to me and he's going to use me. And if he uses me, I'm a special person. That's kind of how we, if, if God uses Pastor Mark, he's got to be a good guy. Well, not necessarily, right? Okay, because God looks not on the outside, but the inside. It's not our works and achievement. And typically he uses some of those foreign prophets to make that point to his people. Just because you've accomplished great things in my name, don't think your salvation is because of you. It's the grace and mercy of the Lord. And Balaam's like a case in point with that. Okay, Uh, married couples without children. Can you raise your hand? Tim, would you come and represent your household and would you share with us one prayer request of the way we can be praying for you and your family and two, if there's any questions that you have. No guarantees you'll get an answer. Um, I think as just work's been busy and... Hi, my name is Tim. Hi, my name's Tim. <laughs> Hi, my name's Tim. Um, yeah, I think as we've work been busy and being home all the time... Um, even working at the same company, it's just um, can be really busy. And um, I think just one thing with me and my wife is um, learning one another all the more, especially when things are stressful. And of course, I fail uh, many times over every day and just understanding my wife. And I think, I guess, the prayer request is. Um, for just more growth in the Holy Spirit to um, have that, like, just deeper love that has come from Christ uh, for one another. Um, as far as questions, nothing in mind at the moment. Okay, you get credit. We can ask that later. That's Thank you, Tim. Okay, and, and your request is, you can have a seat, is, is certainly a request, hopefully, of every husband here that we would grow in loving and living with our wives, as Peter says, in an understanding way as the weaker vessel. And as Tim has pointed out, we can't do that in our own strength. We need a lot of Jesus. And that goes for the early ones and the later ones. So even if you're single, start now, okay? Your best investment in in being an encouragement to the relationships and the people around you, and that's what we're going to talk about today, whether you're single or not, is a life that is filled with Jesus. And when he's big and there's more of him, there's less of you. And that usually for our wives is a good thing. All right.
Um, who's been married longer than five years? Can you raise your hand? Who's been married longer than ten years? Anybody? Okay, Garrett, come on up. Share with us one prayer request, since you're the veteran statesman, and uh, and and a question that you any question, you get one. Hi everyone, my name is Garrett. One uh, prayer request um, that I, I guess you guys can pray for me and our family is. Um, I guess just to keep Christ at the center of things. Um, I think especially over the past year, there's just been so many things going on that can kind of distract away from him. And now even as ministry starts back up and the busyness of school with the kids and a lot more things going on at church just to remember Christ and that he is the you know, most important part of it and to uh, just follow after him and, and look to him and, and see him in all those things. Um, one question that I have, um, you know, one thing that I was thinking through even today and just recently as, you know, our kids have been with us in, in service now for a, a long time and, um, the millennium, <laughs> a thousand years, literally, yeah. um, a day with a parent is like a thousand years anyways, um, I guess, how do you balance just like, you know, uh, having them uh, behave in an appropriate way sure. versus like not exasperating them and having them enjoy church and sure. trying not all the things that come along with that, right? That's a great question. Thank you, Garrett. And I think we're going to try and address most of that in our session next month, because next month we're going to look at correction. What role does correction play in the house and the family? What is God's example of correction? Is it just physical discipline? Is it no physical discipline? And what are the right expectations that we're to have in the household of God? Because uh, Paul writes to Timothy, as I'm writing these things so that you would know how to conduct yourselves in the household of God. And uh, I'm going to say in a big picture, Garrett, I think a lot of the burdens that we have are expectations that we were raised with or the fear of man. I think I speak for all of us. When our kids are struggling in service, we worry that everybody else is listening. Is it a distraction? And I think we would find, and this is the aim, as the gospel becomes our framework There is incredible grace, there is incredible mercy, and there's incredible help. And Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I believe there's a way that the gospel shows that there's a standard we can point our children to, but there's grace and mercy. And it probably looks very different than the churches I was raised in, where if you look sideways, you were a son of the devil, which I probably was. But nonetheless, um, hopefully session two, we're going to... We're going to get there, okay? Um, I want to take a moment to pray for you all. It's one of my greatest joys, and I'm going to pray for those requests that we just heard. But I also want you, as we do this every month, for you to keep track of those prayer requests and the people who made them, and to pray for them during the month and the members who are like them. Because likely, more than is not, their requests represent many of us who are here. Okay, so let's pray to the Lord. Lord Jesus, you are our sufficiency. You are our well of living water. 
And you are our goodness and our grace. And uh, Lord Jesus, we just look to you for the requests that we've heard. Um, For many, it's work and being a light in a place of work during a season in COVID that's been difficult and strange. And we know that we come across many, whether they be children or co-workers, who do not know you and who suffer greatly, Lord, because this is a fallen and dark world. And we just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to be the light and the love that you called us to be. And we also pray for the people we interact with. We pray for their salvation, Lord. Whether they be soccer coaches, whether they be teachers, whether they be children, whether they be software engineers, we just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would bring your lost sheep to you and provide the true deliverance that they need that begins with the gospel in their lives. Lord, we pray as as Kevin Al prayed for us this morning. We pray again, as Tim has mentioned to us, that the men of this church would grow and become godly leaders who would live with their wives and their children in an understanding way, that we would grow in a knowledge and understanding of the ways of their hearts so that we might love them and sacrifice for them and do what's needed to be done, even if it should call for us to die for them, in order to wash them with the word and see them sanctified and see them grow in you. Of course, that's only what you can do. And we need your help for that. But certainly, Lord, let us not be stumbling blocks either to the people we work with, the people we serve, but especially to the family members that you have gifted and grace to us. And as Garrett has shared, Lord, this is a year even for many of us in the church where there's so many distractions And so many things to deal with, so many more things than we've had to deal with in the past. And we come to you and we just thank you for a day when we can lay these things aside. And we can focus on you and just receive your love without distraction. But we ask during the week that you would help us, Lord Jesus, not to lose sight of you and to cling to secondary things. But Lord Jesus, would you be our all in all. And for that, Lord Jesus, we just need your help. But we thank you, Lord Jesus, too, that you are present in our lives and that you step in and that you intervene and that even at times you provide correction and discipline so that our eyes would be away from the things of the world and that they would be back on the one who loves us and who has given his life for us. Thank you for these things, Lord, in your name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to take a few minutes to go through 1 Timothy. And 1 Timothy chapter 1, we're not going to take a whole lot of time, maybe 10 or 15 minutes. My hope is through Cornerstone is just to go through one sort of simple point with you guys. We've already been through 1 Timothy and Lagos, but how does it apply to our marriages, our relationships, and our lives? Could I have my first slide, please? Thank you. And I want to begin with a question that we started with this morning, okay? What are the most important relationships in your life? And in your mind, just do an inventory. Make three. Okay? What are the three most important relationships in your life? Now I want you to consider, okay, who or what leads those relationships? Okay? Who or what determines the direction of those relationships and the decisions that you make? Now I'm going to throw this out at you. I think for many of us, okay... Our work and our career, many times, 
or if you're a student, your education, many times superficially, those are the things that are leading your relationships. They dictate how much time you can spend with someone, where you're supposed to be, when you eat dinner with that person, uh, from the time that you spend to where you spend to what you talk about. I think most of the demographics and most of the studies show that work in America dictates much of that. But, nonetheless, who or what leads those three most important relationships? And if you haven't figured out who or what is leading those relationships, then you're being led. You're led by something. And that typically means you're led by something that you're not aware of. Okay? Now, here's the final question I want you guys to consider. Who or what holds those three most important relationships in your life? Who holds them together? Okay? I think many of the couples who have been together for longer than five years over time in the church will share, and we try and address this in our premarital time, Unity in a relationship is something that is very hard that you have to fight for. It doesn't come naturally. It's not presto, you get married, and suddenly everything's good for the next 50 years of your life. Unity is something that is very, very, very hard. And so it's worth asking, and it's too late. Can I just say this to you all, for those of you who are single? It's too late... Well, it's never too late with Jesus. So let me take that. Okay, it's, it's a little bit false. But let me just say maybe it's not wise to think that the only time you have to think about what holds your relationships together is as soon as there's a ring on the finger or you're across the altar. If that's when you start thinking about what's holding your relationships together, okay, you've missed a few steps. Now, the great thing about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is He is really the giver of second chances. Okay? But one of my professors in seminary, Dr. Harris, reminded me when I was still single, he said, if you are not intentional about those things, especially about your unity with what's most important in your life, you will find that things fall apart and will take on a life of their own. Okay? So, those three things. Let's think about those and hopefully we're going to start to answer and address some of those within the context of 1 Timothy. Could I have my next slide, please? Okay? I want us to think about the millennial church and our understanding of church and the relationships in church. Now, I'm going to put this proposal before you. I believe this is typically how most of us tend to think about church in America. Okay? Where church is this gray mass that's kind of messed up and untrustworthy, but it's an organization that, for some reason, I want a part of. And so on one side, I've got my life, my relationships, my work, and my family, and Once a week on Sunday, it interacts with that big, gray, untrustworthy blob, the church. And maybe it might overlap a little bit with that. And maybe it might overlap with some of the other people who have their life and their relationships and their families 
And once a week, we get together with the big gray blob, and we have a little bit of connection, and then we go out for the rest of the week to live our lives, our families, our relationships. Okay? Does that, does that sound like an exaggeration? Okay? I mean, that's kind of... How many of you were born and raised in the church? I was. Okay? How many of you had, quote-unquote, professing Christian parents? Now, you know I, I do this all the time, but it's to remind us a little bit. Now, how many of you sort of grew up that way where church was something that you guys did once a week and maybe sometimes you would socialize with some of the people in church and sometimes maybe you avoided some of the people in church too? I mean, that certainly was very much my experience too when I grew up in many stellar, conservative, evangelical churches of great reputation and great teaching. Okay, This is kind of the North American tradition, which I believe is intensified in the millennial generation. Okay, I think maybe the distinction a little bit is millennials typically are looking for a movement to be a part of, and typically what they look for is a church that matches their goals. And the hope is that you can find a church that meets your needs, your dreams, and expectations so that you can align with other people who share those same dreams and expectations and together you can go out and change the world until the movement dies and then you have to find another church. Okay? So I'm saying this because I think if we're honest with ourselves, we get bombarded with that and many times that's how we think about church. And I think the way that gets exposed is when relationships break down and marriages break down and churches start to break down. What we start to see is that our view of the church, we feel, has let us down. Many times we feel our church has let us down when a divorce breaks out in a church or something terrible happens in the church, okay? And the belief is that the church has let us down. But I think sometimes when we examine, as we talked about this morning, the desires of our heart and our expectation, what we discover is what's disappointed or broken are our expectations of what the Christian life in the church is supposed to be. And it's not uncommon that those expectations are very different than what we read about on the pages of Scripture. Okay? Can I have my next slide, please? Okay. We're just going to look at the first few verses of 1 Timothy, okay? And that's all we're going to deal with, the introduction to 1 Timothy today. And I have 10 minutes left, I believe. Okay. So, Will Wu, can you come up and grab the mic and can you read those verses for me? We're going to read 1 Timothy 1, verses 1 and 2, and also chapter 3. So this is 1 Timothy 1, verses 1 and 2, and then all of chapter 3, or? 3, 14, and 15. Okay. All right, uh, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Um, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord.
Genesis chapter 3, starting from verse 14. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, uh, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Thank you, sir. Okay. Now here's my proposal to you. Okay. From the beginning, in the beginning of epistles, Paul establishes the whole blueprint for the rest of the epistle, beginning with who he is and what he's been called to do. And my proposal to you here is Paul's vision of the church and every relationship he has is markedly different than the view we frequently have of church and our relationships. Why is that? Because everything Paul is saying there is the church and every relationship that is part of the church has been created, it has been called, and it has been commanded by Christ. He's the one who defines who you are and what your relationships are and what holds those relationships together. And Paul does that right from the beginning with the statement, Paul, an apostle... Of Jesus Christ. Commanded by who? God. And Jesus Christ. Okay. And that idea of who Paul is. Is completely defined. By his creation. His calling and his command. If you are a believer. You're a new creation in Christ. That's what the Lord says. It's not because you raised your hand. And made a choice in 7th grade. To accept Jesus into your heart. If you are saved, it's because Christ has come and given you a new heart and a new life. And he's created an entirely new person. That starts as a little mustard seed and a baby, but is to grow into maturity. And the entire direction of your life, if you indeed belong to him, is to follow the calling he has given you to be a child of God. And to follow his command as your savior and Your Lord. That's the summation of your life. And if that is indeed true. If Christ has saved you. And he's made you part of his family. Well Paul explains this is what the church is according to the gospel. The gospel is the household of the living God. It means God is present. It's not we show up and we have a nice memory of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. He is alive, He is present, God is alive and present, and it is His household. And the Apostle Paul makes it clear, when you are saved and you are brought into Christ, you are also made a part not only of Christ, but His family. That idea of the pillar and buttress of the truth, we think of that as a support. But the idea of pillar in the Old Testament, the pillar in the temple was a huge architectural monument, not dissimilar to the Washington Monument, which was to place on display the power and strength of what it represented. 
The idea of the pillar and buttress of the truth is the church is meant to be a display of the gospel. The good news of how God has saved sinners through the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Okay? Can I have my next slide please? So my proposal to you, and I believe I'm 200% true. Okay? Is that... Paul's understanding from Jesus Christ directly of what the church is, is that the church is the household of God. And the one who sustains and gives it grace, mercy, and peace is the same one who created the church, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's the one who holds everything together. And He's the one who builds that church one life at a time, building around the cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ. And he does through that, through lives who he saves and who he brings out of the darkness and he brings into the light. Just like we talked about this morning. And when he builds that church one life at a time, the lives and the relationships and the families that he saves, he doesn't keep on the margins. He brings them right into the heart of God and he brings them right into the heart of the church. Now, if this is true, and Paul is not lying, it means that if you're a child of God, you don't have this separate life where I'm over here working five days a week, and I'm taking care of my kids, and they go to soccer practice, and they go to baseball camp, and they go to Stanford, and they go to UCLA, and they do these things over here. And then once a week, I bring them in, and Garrett and I, we have this struggle so that our kids sit up straight, and they don't scream when Pastor Mark's preaching. And I just want you to know i got no problems with your kids fiddling and screaming during the sermon, because I did it in spades. Okay? And I had to go and visit with the pastor's wife and get disciplined and all of those things. So I, I don't care if your kids are swinging from the chandeliers. Okay? They're being blessed by being in the presence of the Lord. If it becomes a distraction to others, out of love for others, you do whatever you come so that you minimize the distraction. But kids are kids. And this is where we're going to go with this. Okay? Paul's statement at the beginning. Paul. Right? The spiritual father in Timothy. My true child of the faith. Every relationship is part of the church. Every relationship belongs to Christ. Now our kids, we don't know whether they're believers or they're not. We know that they're born into sin. And our children are totally depraved sinners. And even if they give a profession of faith, not until maturity do we know, are they just doing that to please their parents, or because it looks good, or is the Holy Spirit working? And it's one of the reasons why we don't baptize children, and it's one of the reasons we don't allow our children to come to the Lord's table, even if there's a profession of faith. Okay, We don't want to give false assurance. But nonetheless, what I tell my boys is, Ethan and Joshua, while you are in our household, whether you are saved or not, I am the leader of this home and Christ is the leader of me. And he's the leader of this home. You are called to obey and honor your parents and submit to the authority of this household. That authority is Christ. Until you leave this home and you are no longer a dependent on your parents, you will abide by the Lordship of Christ. When you no longer are there and you leave, you have a choice to make. By faith will he be your king, 
And will you look to Him for salvation and lordship over the entirety of your life? Or will you rebel against that and live on your own terms? That's between you and the Lord. But as long as you are part of my household, you carry my name, and you are part of this household, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that means the expectations that apply to every child of God, I'm going to remind you of, even when we come to church on Sunday. But I'm also going to remind you that you can't keep that standard. Only Christ. And His mercy and grace and goodness is going to enable you to overcome your sin and to walk in a manner that's pleasing to the Lord. But you're still part of the local church until that time that God separates us. That means everything that God holds me accountable to extends to every relationship in my life. Whether I'm here on Sunday or not. Now I ask you, what type of a pastor do you want? Do you want a pastor who's playing fast and loose with the world five days a week and then comes on and puts on a great sermon on Sunday so you don't notice how ugly his life is? Do you want that? Okay. So why are you any different? Because at the end of the day, when I stand before the Lord, it's not being a pastor or going to seminary That makes a difference before the Lord. Am I a child of Christ? Is he my savior? Is he my sweetness? Is he my goodness? Is he my redemption? And that goes for your children too. Because your children see how you live five days a week. They see the cars that you buy. They see the things that you do in your spare time. They see the convictions of your heart. They see how you talk to your wives. They see how you talk to your husbands. They see every aspect of your life. And they're seeing whether or not the entirety of your life has been brought in and comes under Christ and is a part of Christ, or you're leading a double life. Okay? It's not just pastors who are stumbling blocks, though we are held to that accountability because of the visibility. It's y'all. Okay? Can I have my next slide, please? And I'm getting ready to land the plane. I know I'm three minutes over time. Okay? That's a lot of information. I'll send you guys the PowerPoints, okay? <laughs> guys, here's, here's where I'm going with this. Your roles, your responsibilities, and your relationships, if you're a believer, they're either going to be shaped and determined by Christ and His Word and the Gospel, or they're going to be shaped by the world. One or the other. Your family time, your relationship, how you talk to your husband, how you talk to your wife, is going to be informed by your work, your homeschooling community, the schools, the soccer practices, the things of your heart, or it's going to be shaped by Christ and the gospel. With Christ and the gospel, there is mercy and grace, and there's a Holy Spirit who washes you with the words, and though you fail, provides a way for repentance and to come and ask forgiveness and say, Ethan and Josh, I blew it. Your father was prideful and irritable, and that's not right before the Lord. Would you forgive your father? Okay? And he will provide a way through even though we're imperfect. 
Or you can go the way of the world, which gives you whistles and bells up front, but is going to crush you and break you and your family at a later date. You don't do it for that reason, okay? But you do it out of love for the Lord, okay? And when you look at Paul, and you look at how he wrote to Timothy, Paul saw every relationship in light of who Jesus is. This is Biblical Counseling 101. Every person who you interact with. How do I relate to Jesus? How do they relate to Jesus? So parents, when you minister to your children, you understand that they are probably not saved. You understand that they need the gospel. Why do we get upset when they misbehave? Is it because it's not pleasing to God or is it because it's not pleasing to me? At what point do we begin to recognize that their only hope and remedy is the gospel? At what point do we realize they need the mercy and grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? That includes correction. At what point do we realize that even if we've asked them to do something three or four or five times, if they are not saved, the natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit? At what point do we realize that if they do perform well and they're not saved, they're just Pharisees. And they've learned to game the system in order to get a pat on the shoulder. And that, brothers and sisters, can be even more dangerous than the child who's out of control. Now that doesn't mean I'm saying be negligent in your parenting. I'm saying for this session, if we do not consider where we stand and our children stand and our wives and spouses stand before the Lord, all we're doing is behavior modification. Tim, you asked, If he's still here, okay. He's serving us outside. How do I live with my wife in an understanding way? Guys, if we don't understand where our wives stand in their relationship to the Lord and how their walk with the Lord is doing, the rest is a joke, right? So as I watch Julie in our relationship and I see Maybe there's something discouraging her. Maybe she's struggling. Or she's had a hard week. As a husband, what I want to know first is, how is her walk with the Lord? Right? As opposed to, honey, let's go out date night and fix this. Honey, how come you're not smiling more? Honey, how, it's, honey, how are you doing? What's going on? I just noticed you seem discouraged for a season. And we might not find out right away. Whose help do I need? I need the Lord's. I need to go to the Lord and pray to Him. Because I don't understand her heart, but the Lord does. And maybe I won't understand, or maybe she doesn't. But what's of paramount importance as a husband, is that I begin to consider how my wife's heart is before the Lord. And if that's the case, here's the hope as a believer. I can't fix it, but you know who can our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the gospel can provide the remedy. And maybe it's not going to happen the weekend that I want it to happen, but maybe it's going to happen over time. And guess what? The same is true in my relationship with my children. I might not be able to fix it this weekend, but Christ says His word will not return to Him void. His gospel gives life. 
If I trust him, am I willing to trust him for Ethan and Joshua for five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years? I've got no guarantee that my boys will get saved or they, even if I tell them the gospel every day, they might be 40 while I'm long gone before it ever happens. Do we see ourselves in light of our relationship with Christ, that we're children of God? And do we love and appreciate those other relationships that the only one who holds it together is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Paul, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, talks to the Thessalonians and explains to him that he is a father to them, handling them gently. And he shows what a father does, a biblical father. I've gone over this with you guys many times before. He says, I exhort you, I encourage you, I implore you that you would walk worthy of the gospel. So I'm going to land this plane. If we are children of God, we have one responsibility. That one responsibility has two parts. That first responsibility is that we would abide in Christ. The second responsibility is related to it. That we would bring Christ to every relationship in our life. So they're related, right? You can't bring Christ to your children if Christ isn't in your heart, right? If you're walking in the way, and guys, the guys, you know this. You work a day at work, you come home, your mind has been filled with all the garbage and scubalon of the world. And you come home and we're cranky and irritable because there's a toy there. Or my meal's not ready. Or this, that. Because we've been in the flesh all day. It's the reason Daniel prayed three times a day, brothers and sisters. Okay? Our responsibility is to be filled with Christ so that we can bring Christ to every relationship in our lives, whether it's the children in Daniel's school, whether it's Ethan and Joshua, our husbands and wives. The greatest encouragement you can be to your spouse is that when you interact with them, they have the fragrance and aroma of the gospel of a Savior who loves them and has given his life for them. The worst thing you can do is to bring the world in, which is all about my desires, my expectations, and why don't you meet them? Right? Okay. Where does that leave us? Final slide. Here are some recommendations for you. Okay, how do we do this practically? It ain't going to happen if you're not walking with Jesus. Okay? Individually, you need time to celebrate your relationship with Christ. And I mean celebrate. I mean to give thanks and not, okay, I got to open my Bible, I got to pray and I got to read it because I got to do it because if I don't do it, I'm not a good Christian. I'm talking about this is my time to have fellowship with the one who loves me and gave his life for me. And I get to do it because in a lot of countries, they can't do it. Second thing, do you have a significant other? Set apart Christ as holy. The most important thing in your life is the most important person in your life. He's the one who holds it together. To set apart a designated time with Him. So that once a week, you get together with your spouse for a half hour. All the premaritals know this. I say this over and over again. Monday night is the night where for a half an hour, 
I want to hear how you're doing, and I want to hear how I can pray for you. And the other spouse can do the exact same thing. And we spend five to ten minutes reading through a portion of Scripture and then praying for one another. If you can't do that, right? It ain't Jesus who's leading that marriage. Okay? That's not going to save you, but I'm just saying, if you believe in Jesus and He's a priority... Set apart that time and make him the priority, individually but together. Thirdly, you've got children? Okay? Same thing. Do you set apart a time once a week? Dads, moms, both of you are called to shepherd and bring Christ. That's your goal. It's not that your kids get into Stanford. It's not that your kids are homeschooled. It's not that your kids have a biblical worldview. Biblical worldview is just going to make another Pharisee. They need the Holy Spirit to come and give them a new life. Let me ask you, when you die and you say, okay, here's two things. You got one choice. My kid went through Stanford. Sorry, Haley, I'm not picking on that. My kid went to Yale or Harvard, okay, and they built a company. A. B. My child knew Jesus. You take your pick, which one you want. Okay? And what values is a success? Once a week to take time with your children, to be alone with them and alone with God, and to share with them the love of Christ. And that sharing of the love of Christ is going to come through His Word. And it's not rocket science. All you need to do is to find a children's Bible or storybook and begin reading. And then ask your child, how can I be praying for you? To show them that God and Christ cares for them and He cares for their needs. I want to go to trip to Hawaii with you, Dad. Okay, let's pray for it. Maybe the Lord might give it. Maybe we might wait. When we went on our elders retreat, we went to Lake Tahoe with a group of elders. A few weeks beforehand, we, prayed, we talked with our kids. What would you like? Well, we're really hoping that there be snow so we can go sledding. It was warmer than a pistol. When we drove out there, people were wearing, in in Truckee, they were wearing shorts. But for two weeks before, every evening with Ethan and Josh, I said, okay, look, let's pray for snow. Okay? And God might not ask it, but you know, He loves you and He hears. So every night we prayed for snow. And then we get out to Truckee and there's these guys in t-shirts and shorts, right? Big expectations. And then the next day, the Lord brought a snowstorm. And it was covered and flooded and there was like six inches of snow on top of the cars and everything. Now I'm not saying that for some prosperity gospel. But I remind my children at a later date, I said, you know what? The Lord cares, He hears. If, he, if, if it, it is His will and it's good, He will do it like any good father. If it's not good for you, He will not. I don't point to the end result. I'm pointing to the heart of it. That we want to show our children they have a God who hears and understands and loves and cares. And he's put you in their lives to show your children that. If there's never any time to hear your child's heart and say, how can I be praying for you or what are you struggling with? Right? For that aspect of things. What a, what a gifted opportunity. Let me take it one step further. Parents. Well, what do I do? Saturday, look at the order of worship. 
I don't know the order of worship. Well, guess what? We're going through the Gospel of Matthew every week. And we're going through the Psalms, starting in Psalm 47, and we're walking all the way through. You have an opportunity on Saturday, and it'll take no more than 20 minutes to sit with your child and read through the Gospel of Matthew. I think Pastor Mark's probably going to take 20 years to go through these two verses. So let's read it again. Matthew 2, 1 through 12. And to read it through with them, and maybe read the psalm that we do. And do it the night before. And answer any questions they have. And then share with your children the testimony of how you got saved and how you got married. They need to hear those stories and know that that's a mighty work of the Lord. And guess what? When you come on Sunday, they may still be pagans. But their hearts have been challenged with the word of the Lord. They've heard the message and where it's going to come from. They understand there's a connection with their parents' marriage and their life. And it might not do something immediately, but I do believe over time, you will see that you are laying a foundation for them to see the God who has saved you and made your family a part of the church. Flip side, no condemnation. If all I'm doing with my boys is playing soccer and watching Arnold Schwarzenegger, that's dated, okay? If all I'm doing is watching Marvel and Avengers movies on Saturday night, okay? We come in Sunday, who am I to get upset with them if they find me dull and say I'm not connected to this at all? You see, brothers and sisters, our connection is Christ. He's the one who sustains and gives us life. And when we're not connected to Christ and we gather together in his church, guess what? We don't feel connected to one another. But when Christ is our joy, our sweetness, and our love, six days a week, day seven is the sweetest day for the children of God. Let's close in prayer, okay? Lord Jesus, would we see our church and our relationships differently? Would you enable us, Lord, to have sweet times alone with you? And because of that, Lord Jesus, when we interact with the relationships that are most important, would we appreciate you're the one who's given those relationships to us? You're the one who's holding those relationships together And would we look to you to lead those relationships? And would you give us the opportunity in those relationships that what we give to one another, Lord Jesus, is less of the world and more of you. In your name we pray. Amen.